Well, good morning again. I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, I'm Kyle Bender, the Director of Student Ministry, um, if I haven't got the opportunity to know you. But I'm excited to be with you and be sharing with you this morning. And one of the things you guys know but is life is full of change, and change often brings about new realities. Um, for example, we're changing the sanctuary upstairs, so here we sit down here in chairs that are a little less comfortable because they're not broken in like the ones you've broken in over many years in your same spot that you always sit, right? And so we're here, and it's a new reality. But Morgan and I, we're, we're experiencing a little bit of a new reality as there's some change in our life. We sold our home in April, and we bought a new home uh, in Ju- that we can move into in June. And as you know, it's not yet June. So we are currently homeless, and uh, we have been for a little while now, and we've been bouncing around from place to place, one of the reasons why I was in San Marcos this morning. But there's many implications for, for, for this in this new life that we're living for us, for our daughters, for living out of um, boxes and crates and those sorts of things. It's an interesting new reality that we're living into. And let me just say real quick, because I know there's some of you, I know this congregation well, who won't be able to hear what I say for the rest of the time because you'll be so worried about us. We are well taken care of. I have keys to like seven of y'all's houses. I can go anywhere I want. We've got a lake house, a ranch house, whatever we need. So we're taken care of, so know that. But it's a, it's a new reality. Another new reality for us is... Um, we are expecting a third child, uh, as many of you know, if you've seen Morgan, and, um, and starting to grow that baby, and uh, we found out that it is a third girl. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can clap. It's exciting, I think, right? That's exciting. It's a new reality that, uh, in many ways, I'm in denial to. I don't know what life with three girls is going to be like, which at this point, my five-year-old would say, Daddy, you have four girls. And I would say, yes, you're exactly right. I am very outnumbered. But it's, it's change, and it brings about a new reality. Um, but again, I'm in denial, so let's talk about that. Graduates, we've got graduates here, and they're moving into a new season of change that brings about a new reality of college, no parents, freedom. And so they're excited and they're living and there'll be many things uh, as they live into this new reality, implications about who they're becoming and where they're going and what they'll be doing as they they walk into this next chapter uh, as change brings this new reality into their lives. And um, in many ways, Pentecost, we're looking at this uh, passage today in Acts chapter 2. Um, was a moment where a change was brought in that brought a whole new reality. Um, Human history changed. The human experience changed because of Pentecost. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. You can follow along uh, in the Bibles from the back if you grabbed one or up on the screens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongues? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
This is the word of the Lord. We all pray with me. Father, we thank you for um, today. Uh, we thank you that, in fact, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We thank you that you are here with us now. Father, we thank you for this historic day of Pentecost. We pray today that our hearts, our minds, our souls would be opened to hearing from you and hearing from you in a new way. That God, you would teach us something about this familiar story. You would show us something different or something new. We thank you again for your presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you guys will indulge me for a second, we've got some graduates here, and I want to re-emphasize with them and kind of reinforce something we've been doing over the last six weeks. We've been doing a college prep class with them, and one of the things we've been doing is, is really trying to just ask some really tough questions of the faith, getting them prepared, knowing that they will be encountering this uh, where they go in the college campuses or the workplaces that they head to. And so we've been looking at that, questions like, can I trust the Bible? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Can I be a Christian and, and believe in evolution? What does the Bible say about being gay? Things that we know that they're going to encounter, and our purpose this morning is not to answer those questions, and it really wasn't our purpose when we met with them. It was to give them an opportunity to think about it and to give them tools to begin to explore that on their own. And we wanted them to see that they can dig into Scripture and, and its richness there. Uh, that found. And one of our rules for that was that, Every scripture passage has a context. Every passage has a context. <clears throat> it has an author who's writing to a certain audience, a certain thing going on in culture. And there's things that you can explore and figure out. So if we were to just take the Acts story by itself, it might seem a little weird, but there's a context to what's going on here. The example we've been giving them is if you got a text message from an unknown number and it said, will you go to prom with me? It could either be the greatest day of your life, your worst nightmare, or somewhere in between. You don't really know. Because context matters. And so this morning, we could, if you guys were studying this, graduates, seniors, if you're studying this, there's a lot of ways you could dig deeper. You could see that God has manifested his presence as fire, and that's happened multiple times throughout the, um, the scriptures. You could look for that. You could dig into what Robin was talking about earlier, that Pentecost was a festival. And it was a festival that at this point is 50 days after Passover, that it really at this point in time had become to be a festival where they really celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up in God's presence and gives the law and comes down and tells people what God said. But here at Pentecost, the Spirit comes down and God interacts with everyone who's present. And so you could look at the uniqueness there. But what I want to do by way of context this morning is invite you into the narrative context of this passage. And what I hope to do is to paint a picture of the, the magnitude of what this day was in human history and to show you what God was doing and how he was, there was birth of something new, a new reality that we all live into. So if we flip back a couple pages and we look at John's gospel, chapter 21, we find Peter and the disciples and they're there. And at this point, Jesus has been crucified. And they were wondering, like, this was the Messiah we thought was going to come. This is what we thought it was going to look like, and now things have changed. But then they hear that there's an empty tomb. And they're like, what does this mean? And you've got to imagine, like, really put yourself in their shoes and think about the worldview that they have, the way that they feel like life is supposed to go, and the way that the world operates is just being constantly changed. At one moment, they think Jesus is the conquering king to sit on a physical throne. And the next moment he's being crucified and they're like, what, did I follow something false? What, was this all a big mistake? And they're cowering fear. And then the next moment they hear of an empty tomb and they're like, what does it mean? He's, he's conquered death. What, what are the implications of this? 
And so they're sitting there and they're trying to figure this out and they can't think of anything and they're, they're kind of lost and they're kind of stuck. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing. Who's with me? And they go out and go fishing. And you guys know the story in John chapter 21. They go fishing. And as they're out there, they hear a familiar voice of Jesus calling. And they come and they have breakfast with Jesus on the beach and they go, this is it. There's something new. There's a dawn on the horizon of a new reality. I don't know what all it means yet, but something's happening. This was really real and something's going on. And then in Acts chapter 1, we find that Jesus spent 40 days with them. 40 days with them after he resurrected, teaching them about the kingdom of God. So he said, look, I know you had an idea of what you thought it might be. But let me tell you about the kingdom of God as it is going forward. And he tells them in Acts chapter 1, he says, don't go anywhere. Stay right here in Jerusalem because in a few days, the Spirit is coming. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So stay here in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes. And you've got to imagine they're sitting there going, what does this mean? The same thing the people in Acts chapter 2 were saying, what does this mean? And they're sitting there and they're waiting and then Pentecost comes. A rushing wind, tongues of fire coming and resting, speaking in language, and God moves in powerful ways. And it's the start of something new, the start of a new reality. It changes human history. It changes the human experience. It changes the experience that you and I have in this world. Stanley Grins points out that this is a non-repeatable event because it's a grand fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, one of my favorite songs by artist Derek Webb, it says, a day has been inaugurated that's not fully come. Jesus' death, resurrection, and the coming of the Spirit inaugurates a new reality that one day we'll live into in its fullness. But it's started now, and it's going throughout human history, and it's changed everything. There's a new corporate reality for all of us because the Spirit has come, so there's a new state of affairs in the world. There's a new access to God. There's a new possibility because of the Spirit. But not only that, the fire comes down and it splits to each person individually, the followers of Jesus, and they begin speaking. There's a new personal reality because we are filled with the Spirit. So there's a new personal and a new corporate reality. And that we could talk about so many implications of this, but, but one way maybe that will help us to actually think about this is to think about the opposite. Can you imagine what life would be like if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn? What would your life be like if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn? And I'm not saying this is a biblical possibility or anything, but just, just your imagination. What would our corporate life together be like if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn? At the end of Acts chapter 1, the disciples are there. Jesus has left. They're waiting for power, and they're trying to replace the, the Judas um, with the disciples. And they've picked two people that they think kind of match up, and they're casting lots. They're rolling dice and just trusting that's, that God's going to do something sovereign in that. What would life be like if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn? I know for me, I honestly can't imagine it. I know who I am and what I'm capable of when I'm up to my own. It's often ugly, often selfish. I know my corporate reality is I'm slow to forgive and quick with a sharp tongue when I'm left to my own devices. In my life and in our life together, I have a very profound sense that who I am today is because of something outside of myself. Something that is changing and transforming, and transforming and molding me into something much better than I could have ever done on my own. Everything I'm drawn to about Jesus, everything that I aspire to live by because I see it in Christ's life, the things that I want to emulate, I, those things would be impossible 
without the Spirit. There's so many implications, and, and uh, we feel like we could preach a series on, on what happened here at Pentecost. But I want to look at two potential implications, really with the graduates in mind of Pentecost. Uh, one of these things is Jesus, as he's talking throughout uh, John 14, chapters 14, 15, and 16, you know, he's saying different things about what the Spirit is, but basically he's saying, look, the Spirit's going to come, and it's going to bring everything I've told you to life. When you live into this new reality, when the Spirit comes, everything is going to come to life. Everything we've been talking about all of a sudden will take life, and there will be action, and you will live into the experience of this. And one of those things that the Spirit does, and, and graduates, I'm thinking about you, one of the things the Spirit does is it comes into our life, and it tells us who we are. It reminds us who we are. It's a deposit. It's a guarantee of the life to come. It lets us know that we were eternal beings created for a relationship with the Father. And it comes and it tells us that. Listen to Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Our Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit comes into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, we were created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Spirit bears witness, letting us know, giving fullness to the experience that we are loved by God, that we are children of God, that we are sons and we are daughters. The Spirit bears witness to our souls that that is true. Seniors, I want to share with you for just a second. Um, you guys are heading off to college, a lot of great opportunities, and there will be many things over the course of your life that uh, many people say you're going, you're going to try to find yourself. You've probably heard some language like that over the next several years. And there'll be many opportunities to define yourself. Uh, maybe you'll be defined by the, a fraternity or a sorority that you join, and, and that'll be the definition of, of who you are, how you identify yourself. Or maybe you'll be identified by your academic success or by your athletic success or maybe by the fact that you're the guy who can sleep in until 3 p.m. every day without even trying. It's just easy. You can do that. I've missed those days. Um, maybe you'd be defined, but maybe you're actually defined by things even much deeper than that. Like, why is this such a lonely experience? Does this say something about who I am? Or maybe you're deeply connected with people and you're the life of the party. Does this say who I am? And I want to challenge you to not be defined by those things. Those things might describe you, and that's all good and well. But do not be defined by those things, because at your core, this is who you are. You're the one that God loves. And that is your identity. When Jesus was baptized, the spirit came down like a dove, descended down like a dove, much like the fire on the day of Pentecost. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus did a lot of things, and he could be defined by a lot of things, but the re who he really is is he was the son of God with whom God loved and whom he, he was well pleased. And so, seniors, know this. You are a son or daughter of a living king, and he loves you. And not only that, he likes you. He's well pleased with you. He's well pleased with you. A lot of other things can describe you, but let that be what defines you. Church, it's the same for us. We can be defined by a lot of things in our life. Our successes, our failures, our bank accounts are, are all kinds of different things. The list could go on. But you too are a son and daughter of God whom he loves. And not only that, he actually even likes you, believe it or not. He's well pleased with you. And the Spirit comes in and it bears witness 
to us as we are filled with the Spirit that this is who we are, this is what we created for. It cries out, Abba, Father. Another possible implication, and again, seniors, I'm thinking about you, but um, Acts, when we go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says this to the disciples as they're kind of imagining what, what is this going to look like. He says, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is a reality for you. You have received power by the Holy Spirit. And you get to go out now, and we as a congregation, as a church family, are sending you out to go and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. What this tells us, too, is that we don't have to give the keys of the kingdom to, to fear anymore. The keys of our life don't have to go to fear. The Spirit has come, and it's a source of day-to-day courage and power for us. We see in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter, the same Peter who was cowering in fear several days before. We see that Peter now stand up in front of the same people he was hiding from and say, Hey, that guy that you crucified, that's kind of a bold statement, right? That guy that you crucified, that's the Christ. And he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are added to the faith that day. And God did something incredibly new. And so the implications of Pentecost for all of us are is that we have received power by the Holy Spirit to go and to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In fear, we don't, we don't have to worry whether we can say the right things or, or we know all the right stuff or, or we're capable of doing this. No, that's out the window because the Spirit is there. The Spirit is there and it enables us to do these things. All the things that Jesus talked about, they come to life through the Spirit working in our lives. So go. Go from this place and be his witness. Walk in power and know that you are a son and daughter of God. The disciples were sitting there and they were waiting. And they were wondering what life could be like. Guys, we are not waiting. The Spirit has come. The possibilities of the Spirit in our lives are incredible. Let it tell you who you are. And then don't be afraid, but go forward and let's boldly proclaim his kingdom until we fully get to live into it one day in the future. Amen.